Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 today in just a little bit. As you're turning there, uh, give a little recap and share a little story. Um, we started a, ser- a sermon series just last week about this guy named Elijah from the Old Testament. And we're looking at things in Elijah's life and how James actually says in James 5.17 that Elijah was, he was just like us and that he was just as human as we are, and yet he was willing to be used by the Lord to do some crazy, crazy things. And today, we're going to read a story about him that it's, it's pretty crazy, but uh, really, really true. So we're thankful for that. Be turning to 1 Kings chapter 17 in Mark verse 2 in just a little bit. Before we do, uh, there's a pastor named Kyle Eidelman who has a church in Louisville, Kentucky, written a lot of books. It's a great, great church, great ministry. Um, I was reading something of his recently, and he shares a story of how he was able to go to Middle Africa, I believe it was around Uganda, um, years ago, um, just to, to be with one of his friends who's a missionary there, um, and just to be able to preach and meet new people. And while he was there, he was in a predominantly uh, Muslim area of this country, and he shared the gospel. They had a great church service, and at the end of the service, four young men came down front, old school altar call, came down front. Um, and accepted Christ right there on the spot, said, I want to believe, I trust in the Lord, I believe that he's alive, I, I am a follower of Christ. And they just celebrated, and they made plans to have a baptism service that night um, after, the, after the gathering. Um, so Kyle Adam said, this is great. You know, I've never been to Uganda before. Definitely never had four men, all from the Muslim faith, come and accept Christ on the same night. Really, really pumped. Um, but he said as they were leaving, he noticed he was reminded of two things. One, the body of water in which they were using was actually um, a river that ran just on the outskirt of the city um, that had a lot of cro- crocodiles in it. So that made him a little uncomfortable. Um, but even more than that, he said that he began to realize that this was a, a very Muslim area and the Christian faith had not really taken root here just yet. So he was wondering what that would look like. So he said these four men came back to the evening service um, and they just had a great time. I mean, it was a wonderful service. At the end of the service, they all made their way down to the water to enter the waters into baptism, and he was able to be a part of that. But he said as these men walked towards him and got closer, he realized that these young men were each carrying a small suitcase. He said it reminded him of suitcases like in the 70s and 80s in the States, just this little small suitcases. And they walked up to the water, and they set their suitcase down one by one, and then walked out in the water to enter the baptism time. And he loved it. So it was absolutely beautiful. Spirit of the Lord was moving. And afterwards, as he watched those men come out of the water, he went to one of the translators and asked him, he said, I got to find out, like, suitcases, I mean, they're not, they're not going back to Kentucky, you know, like next week. And he said, no. Um, he said, these men actually each went home this afternoon to tell their families that they had decided to follow Christ. And each of these men have been disowned by their families today. Um, their families told them before they came back to a church service, and they needed to pack up everything that they could in each of these bags because they no longer belonged to their households. They came into the waters of baptism right beforehand, carrying everything they had in life. And as they sat it down on the shore, they walked into the waters to be dipped and raised to follow Christ with everything they had. Most of us aren't going to have a chance to experience a baptism service in Uganda. But all of us have a chance to bring everything that we have into the Lord and ask him to use it. We're about to read a passage of scripture where the Lord provides in miraculous ways 
and he does things that don't make a lot of sense. But before we get into that, I want to ask everybody here to ask yourselves two questions. Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm currently not giving you access to? Because he wants it all. He wants every piece of you. And two, Lord, what might you be calling me to do with everything that I have? When we are willing to say, this is all I have, I believe the Lord is always willing to say, oh, that's all I want. I want all of it. So open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 2. We're going to read some passages, some verses, and then talk about it. And then read a couple more. Cool story. This is the case this is your first Sunday. Um, last week, um, we opened up with the first verse that says this guy named Elisha, just Elijah, Elisha's coming. Elijah shows up on the scene out of nowhere, goes up to this king whose name's Ahab. Ahab has a wife named Jezebel. That's not like a fun, like that's actual, the actual Jezebel with his wife. He has a wife named Jezebel. They're not fans of the Lord or the Bible or the prophets. So they're just having all kinds of fun. Elijah goes before the king and says, King, in verse 1, right before this, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. So he doesn't like start out on the best relationship with the authority. Right after he says that to the king, the scripture goes on and says this in verses 2 to 7. And the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Sharif which is east of the Jordan. That's the Jordan River, the same one that Jesus would be baptized in years later. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. If you're not familiar, ravens are birds. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Sherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, And he drank from the brook. And I really like verse 7 because it's just a fun tidbit. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Because Elijah had said it's not going to rain. So it's just this fun, like full circle kind of thing here. I've gotten a few things out of this passage this week. I pray that the Lord will use it to speak to each of you this week as we dig into this together. A few thoughts on this. First, God does not promise an easy life. God does not promise an easy life to those who call upon his name and choose to follow him. It's an unpopular thing to say, unpopular sermon topic or a sermon series, but it's quite biblical. I would love to tell you what some preachers tell their congregations all the time, that if you just trust in Jesus, it'll be rainbows and butterflies and streets of gold and crystal sea. Some of those things will happen in eternity, but very few of those things will happen today. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll give you an easy life. He says, I'll give you rest. Why? Because we are taking our burden, our yoke to him, and he's saying, I will carry this with you. The Kareth Ravine, where Elijah goes, is on the far side of the Jordan River. It's a quite remote area. It's actually the land where Elijah very likely grew up. So imagine this with me. Elijah somehow gets a word from the Lord that says, hey, go and talk to the president, go and talk to the king of the land, and tell him, by the way, it's not going to rain until you stop being wicked, and then walk away. To me, after you got the courage to do something like that, I'd probably want to pat myself on the back and go, let's just chill for a while. Like, this is pretty good. The next verse says, the Lord told Elijah to go and play a game of hide and seek in the wilderness because the people that he just spoke to were really mad at him. Not the situation that I would want to find myself in, but that's where Elijah finds himself. God told him to go and hide because his life was in danger. I believe this is why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, when he teaches those that are following him to pray, 
give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because we don't know if tomorrow's going to have bread for us or not. Scripture says, why worry about tomorrow? For tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. It says, focus what's on right in front of you, right here. Because tomorrow might not be very easy. Elijah chose to follow the Lord, even though the life he lived was not an easy life. So if you are currently going through a situation that is quite difficult, or you've had a week that's been a week, or a month, or a season that's been a month or a season, I want you to know a couple things. One, God has not abandoned nor forsaken you in that time. He doesn't promise it to be easy. He promises to be with us along the way. Could it be that the Lord is preparing us for something else because of where we currently are? Just because it's not easy doesn't mean he's not in it. Just because it's not easy does not mean he is not in it. Second, God's plans may be difficult to understand. God's plans may be difficult to understand. Can you imagine Elijah trying to explain this to his friends or his mom or his folk in his town years later? Man, how'd you survive by that brook for a while? He's like, you're not going to believe this. So there was these birds, you know? I know some of us might read this and go, Old Testament, Noah's Ark, like a lot of figurative. No, no, I think this really happened. Personally, that's just where we camp in this church. But also... If I have the chance, I think I will, to have a conversation with Elijah one day in eternity and ask him, what was it like to be fed by birds? My honest opinion of his response will be, I have bros the weirdest thing, man. These birds came out. Like, what are you going to say to that? Don't oversimplify, don't overimagine what Old Testament people were like. Scripture says he was like us. Meaning he thought like us, he lived like us, and he ate like us. I believe that means that when the Lord said, don't worry, bro, I'll take care of you. Some birds are going to fly down like snow white, and they're going to feed you. That Elijah very likely would have said, that don't make you sin. You ever bird feed a baby bird? Not how I want to be fed. Anyway, could Elijah have been thinking those things? Just because the Lord's doing it doesn't mean it's going to make sense all the time. Elijah was fed by ravens. Why is the type of bird mentioned? It's really important. In Elijah's day, not only would it have been really weird to get fed by birds, but it would have been even weirder to be fed by ravens. For up until this point, ravens were called unclean birds. You weren't supposed to be around them, touch them, or have contact with them. Why is the Lord feeding Elijah with an unclean bird from the air? I believe it's because the Lord was beginning to prepare Elijah to trust in him to do things that were unexpected and could not be explained. The Lord knew the rest of the chapters following this, that Elijah was about to find himself in other situations that would make even less sense than this, but he started with some birds, I believe, to get Elijah's attention. God's plans may be difficult to understand. When I think Elijah might have been saying, you really want me to hide right now? Like, let's go. Let's take this kingdom. The Lord said, yeah, go and hide. Sit by the brook, drink some water, and I'll send some birds to take care of you. Some have asked me even just this week a great question. Some things I've struggled with in my life as well. How do you understand and know if it's actually the voice of the Lord that you are hearing? How does one go about hearing the voice of the Lord? There have been times in my life where I have not heard the Lord. I mean, I'm just, just me. Some people have him speak audibly. Usually he speaks directly through his word to me or through other. But if you're currently in a spot where you're like, Lord, I think you're saying this, but I don't know if it's really you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. God calls his followers to be faithful 
I don't know if I should say this part or not. I don't think, but I also think he gives us resources to to check it, right? Like he wants us to be good stewards of what he's given us. What does that mean in our life, in our married life, in our home? We trust the Lord. And if the Lord calls us to do something, we're going to do it. And it hadn't always made a lot of sense, but we're going to trust him. But we always try to check it with a few things. We believe in God and we're going to follow him where he calls. But he's also given us three things. I believe that each of you can check this morning. If you think the Lord, uh, we're going back one, the Lord is giving us a couple things to check with. One, is his word. If you currently are thinking that God is calling you or speaking to you or leading you to do something that doesn't match what is in this, it is not the voice of God. It is something else. Could even be your own mind. Some people would hear that and go, who would be called to do something that's not in the scripture? A lot of people. I have had pastors of churches in the past tell me that the Lord was calling them to do things that were actually sinful according to Scripture. And we had to come together and say, you're being called, but not by the Lord. If the Lord is speaking to you, he will not contradict himself. So we've got to be willing to say, I either trust what this says or I don't. I have some friends that have stopped trusting what this says. Their authority for me is like completely set aside. If you're a person who says, I'm going to trust what this says, then we have to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What does it say in here about that? He's not going to go back on his word. Check scripture with what you think the Lord is calling you to do. Check him with what you're saying. What do you think he's saying to you? There's nothing wrong. If you don't know what to pray or you're saying, Lord, please speak to me to set aside some time on a regular basis. Say, Lord, I'm going to read scripture. Please speak to me. I promise you'll do it. I've got papers and papers and papers of verses I've just written down where the Lord and I are having a conversation with each other. Check the scripture. Two, pray about it. If you feel like the Lord is saying something to you and it doesn't make a lot of sense, God plans may be difficult to understand, ask the Lord to explain it to you. Be patient with him. His timing isn't always our timing. Know that when we say, Lord, I need to hear your voice, we are bringing something to him that he wants to hear from our own hearts. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to make it clear. Check the scripture. Spend time in prayer. And third, check one or two other believers. To me, that's one of the greatest gifts of the local church. If we feel like God is calling us to do something, we can check with other believers and say, hey, I feel like the Lord is calling me to do this. There have been some, when you say things like, I feel like we're going to leave a church that has no debt and is willing to sit here for the next little while, like everything's set, to move to Morgan County, to take a call, to help start a campus in a high school gym with a laptop and a thing called a snake. Not real snakes, but a snake from this to the stage. Like, that sounds like a lot of fun. And the first Sunday, what? Kelly, you're like, what? 200 people? The next Sunday, 45 or 50? You ever had a time in life where you're like, whoa, this is difficult to understand. We've got to say, Lord, are we going to trust your word and the prayers that we are giving you and those around us that we've asked? Surround yourself with people who are hear your voice, hear his voice. God's plans may be difficult to understand. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Even though his plans may be difficult to understand, they are still true. Third, God prepares those that he calls. God will always prepare those that he calls. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He fed Elijah with ravens. Moses, for 40 years, tended sheep in the wilderness before he went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Jesus, who is Jesus, spent 40 days fasting and praying in the wilderness before he performed his first miracles. 
the disciples were with Jesus for three years, day and night, for three years before Jesus sent them out to do what he had called them to do. What does that mean? God is always preparing his people, either either for our work here or for his presence there. What could God be preparing for you today? What could God be using you to prepare others for today, either for their lives here or for his presence there? So if you are currently in a state where you're like, well, I've been praying for three days about this and I don't know why the Lord hasn't answered me. Moses was in the wilderness taking care of sheep for 40 years before God said, now it's time to go to Pharaoh. Sometimes I watch, um, you know, a little bit of sports, even though for some reason Major League Baseball had apparently a dispute with YouTube TV, neither here nor there. We're figuring that out. But if you ever watch like a World Series or a Super Bowl, National College Championship, at the end, the Gatorade comes for the coach, dump the Gatorade on the guy. Everybody picks him up. They're excited. They're going off the field. Maybe at some point in your life, you looked at a guy like that. I have a few times and thought, man, it'd be cool to be him just for a little bit, you know, just like in that little season. But what we don't see in that moment is how many midnight practices he had, how many conversations he had with players who weren't good enough to make the cut and had to send him down. My son, 10-year-old, is playing baseball this year. That's fun. You ever seen some passionate baseball dads? I mean, I'm not talking. It's legitimate. Conversations that coaches have to have with people. The not fun sit-downs, the not fun practices, but all we see is the little glimpse of glory right there at the end. If you are currently in a spiritual state where you're looking at someone else's glory days because of what the Lord is doing in their life, I would ask you to maybe ask the Lord to take a little peek behind the curtain and say, Lord, what have you been doing for the last 5, 10, 15, or 20 years to prepare that person for this moment? He doesn't act on our timeline, y'all. He's God which means that there will be seasons of our lives where we're going to look around going, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And his honest-to-goodness biblical response would be, you're not capable of understanding what I'm preparing to do in your life just yet. Wait on me. What could God be preparing for you right now that you aren't going to see for another week, month, or year? What could God be preparing for your household 15, 20, or 30 years from now that he's currently doing through you to love on them. We've got to be willing to take a step back and say, Lord, I want instant gratification. And to hear his response, it might be, I'm not ready to gratify you just yet. God is always preparing his followers to become more like him. Sometimes it takes 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep before you have a chance to go before Pharaoh and say what the Lord has called you to do. How could he be preparing you or using you to prepare for someone else? Fourth thought, God allows some brooks to dry up. God allows some brooks to dry up. This is cool to me. Verse seven says, Elijah's just sitting there. In my mind, he's living there. He's got a little camp thing going on, living there, drinking from the brook, birds coming down. Maybe he's figured that thing out by now. Lo and behold, what happens? Brook dries up. He's sitting there standing at some empty rocks. No water going over him. I've got this video. It didn't come across nearly like I thought, so I'm just going to play it now for fun. That's a lot, right? I didn't record that, but I did YouTube it. Babbling brook. Anybody go camping? Sometimes we like to be next to a creek or a body of water because my kids like to play in it a lot, not going to lie. Sometimes it can be peaceful. Right now, it's not as peaceful. It's kind of making me think of other things. But knowing that, like, when you hear the babbling brook, you can stop that one. So knowing that Elijah was sitting next to a babbling brook drinking water that was brought from the Lord. And lo and behold, the water dried up because Elijah said it was going to dry up because the Lord told him to say it. So now Elijah has an opportunity. 
as do all of us who may have had a babbling brook in our life dry up in recent days, weeks, months, or years. We have the choice to either continue sitting there, staring at an empty brook, or to be willing to be people of faith to say, Lord, this brook's sure enough dried up. And for maybe the Lord to go, I know, sit there for a while, or what it usually is in my life, maybe to say, I know it's time to go somewhere else. It's time to stand up and it's time to follow. What do we do when the brooks he provided dry up? I would encourage us to ask him to lead us and to take control of what's going on right in front of us. Sometimes in life, it's easy for us in our culture to blame other people for why whatever brook in your life might have dried up has dried up. And sometimes other people do some dumb stuff. Amen? Like some people do. Let's name someone who's done something terrible on three. One, no, don't, 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 we're not. Sometimes in our lives, other people do things that cause the benefits and the blessings in our life to kind of dry up a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. People do things that have cause and effect. Have friends of mine that are missionaries on the Gila River Indian Reservation outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Moved there 10 years ago. Lord's doing amazing things. I was in a village called Cockleburr 10 years ago when the first follower of Christ in the history of the Cockleburr village confessed Christ as Lord. Amazing. They have a whole church there now. It's insane. 150 years ago, this was one of the healthiest people groups on the planet because the Gila River, hence the name of the tribe, flowed right through the reservation. Get a little historical but in Phoenix and Tucson began to explode in the early 1900s. So the residents and the government officials, it's just the facts of Phoenix and Tucson began to say, we need some water sources. There's too many people moving here. Let's build a dam. So they went a few miles outside of the reservation and they built a dam to create a reservoir. Overnight, the Gila River went from a flowing river to less than a babbling brook. Today, the Gila River Indian Reservation has the highest rate of diabetes in the world because in less than 100 years, their daily sustenance went from providing natural resources from the land to convenience stores. Cause and effect, there's lots of conversations we can have on that, but what I want us to open our minds up to is that sometimes some people do things that have an effect on other people. Some of you are currently living through a season or a time where something in front of you has dried up because someone else made a bad decision, maybe even a sinful decision, that has had an effect on you. God knows it, he acknowledges it, and he promises to be with us in the middle of it. But we have a choice in that moment. We can either choose to say, I'm gonna sit here and stare at this now empty brook because I'm so angry at she or her or him or they or whatever group might have caused this to happen. And that can allow bitterness and anger and frustration to grow inside of us. And scripture says it'll eat us away like a cancer in our bones. Or we can say, Lord, sure enough, this brook dried up. (laughs) And they did it. In this conversation with Elijah, he said, Lord, the brook dried up. And what does the Lord say? I know, I told it to dry up. Now move. Why does he want Elijah to move? Because he has more things prepared that he doesn't know about yet. Sometimes other people cause our brooks to dry up. Sometimes we do. Not a popular topic, but it's true. There are some things that we are currently having to live through right now because of poor choices that we made years ago. We got to own it. Sins, failures, mistakes, broken relationships, terrible financial decisions, lots of examples. We can also, in those moments, choose to sit there in front of a dried up riverbank and say, Lord, I wish I hadn't done this at this time. And the Lord is patient enough for us to go, yeah, I wish you hadn't too. Like sit there and stare at the brook for a little while. Or are we willing to say, Lord, I messed up. I want to take this and lay it at the foot of the cross. 
redeem this, forgive me, so that he will, like he's done in my life so many times, say, I have, let's go. And sometimes God calls the brook to dry up because he has something else planned that we're not yet ready to hear. God allows some brooks to dry up, but he never abandons his children. Look at verses 8 to 12. We're almost there. It's a crazy story, y'all. So the brook dries up. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Elijah called to the widow and said, Bring me a little water. Where's the water, y'all? It's drying up. They're in a drought. Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, and I don't know how he said this, but it was probably like, hey, bring me a little morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And look at what she says, y'all. God pays attention. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's heavy. The next thing I want us to understand is that God wants everybody to know this place where Elijah's been led is ruled by Jezebel's father. Not a likely place to take refuge. We're in the Bible Belt. This has been like the Baal Belt. You know, like these folks were following false idols. It was hot. It was dry village located out of Sidon which is modern-day Lebanon. It's fascinating to me. The same verb, which means to feed or supply, that God gave in verse 4, about the ravens will feed and supply you, is the same word used in verse 9 when he says this widow will feed and supply you. Why? God is using extremely unlikely sources to bring hope into the life of Elijah. He is continuing to condition Elijah to trust him to do things that don't make any sense. And he wants everybody to know. This widow and her son... We're gathering sticks to make soup. I told first service, I'm not blue on this lady. I think I'm going to have a chance to meet her one day too. My, my sister and I grew up on a dirt road, right? A nice one. It was okay. There are a lot of potholes, but it was, it was pretty, for us, it was classy. But we had a dirt road. And we used to sit out in my grandparents' front yard that was also a dirt driveway, a lot of dirt. We lived in a dirty area, but a lot of dirt. And it would rain and we would make mud pies. Any, anybody ever make mud pies when you're little? That's what's up. Anybody ever dare your sibling to eat some of that mud pie? I did. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, I tried it one time, but I didn't like do it. We didn't do it often, but knowing that we made some mud pies and you're know, like, this doesn't seem like fun. Let's try a little bit. Not a lot of fun. This lady is gathering sticks. I don't want us to belittle this or make fun of it, but I want you to know that she is in a season of life where she has lost all hope and is completely desperate to put a little bit of food in her son's belly so they can eat a little bit and pass away from starvation in their sleep. Hopeless in a world that is completely lost. So far from God's plan, they don't even acknowledge him. And here comes this random dude named Elijah from hundreds of miles away. Why is Elijah having an encounter with this woman? Because his brook just dried up. God allowed the previous brook to dry up so this woman could experience hope. Why? Because God wants everyone to know. He wants everyone to benefit from who he is and what he's done. Widow, son, and stick soup. God cares about people that are hurting and in need. This mother and son lived in the land of Elijah's enemies, yet God provided for them. 
because he wants everyone to know who he is and what he is doing. If you currently feel somewhat like this widow and her son and all you're doing is trying to gather a little bit of sticks to get through one more day, I want you to know a few truths about that. One, God has not forgotten about you. He cares and he is meeting you where you are and wants you to know, I believe in this very moment, that he is here and has people around you to walk with you as you trust in him every day. He wants everyone to know. Just two more and we're out. Set the next one. God wants all that we have so that he can give us more than we will ever need. God wants all that we have so that he can give us more than we will ever need. What's this woman doing? She's gathering sticks to put in a pot, add a little bit of water, and to drink it so they could die of starvation. And what does Elijah do? Hey, you got a cup of water? (laughs) That's like crazy stuff. But what does she say? Yeah. Yeah, I got a little bit of water. And what does he say? I just need a little bit. And then she says in verse 12, what does she say? She says, I've got a little bit of gather. I've got a little flour in a jar. Only a handful, a little oil in a jug. So what's she saying to Elijah? She's like, this is all I've got. And look at what he says to her in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. He says, Elijah said to her, this is all I got. Oh, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first... Make me a little cake. Make me a little cake out of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. He's acting on faith here. He's telling this woman that only has two handfuls of stuff to her name to use it to feed him. And the woman agrees. Because he is acting out on faith. She is saying this is all I've got. And what is Elijah saying? That's all I want. Let's make some bread. And she does. Because God wants all that we have so that he can give us more than we'll ever need. Look at the next verses, 17 verses 14 to 16. The scripture says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah speaking this promise over her. He's saying God's going to provide. Verse 15 says, And she went and did as Elijah said. 30 minutes before, she's picking up sticks. She's going to starve to death. Random stranger shows up and says, Hey, maybe a little bread. And she goes, All right. Okay. I guess we'll eat some bread and starve to death. But look at verse 15. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elisha. What is happening here? God is promising to never go back on his word. He is saying, if I have spoken it, you can't undo it. But Lord, the government's corrupt. Does anything God cares about? He's already spoken it. But Lord, this housing thing, is anybody trying to buy a house in the last couple of years? Anybody trying to sell a house? Anybody trying to buy a house? And it's crazy. Y'all, do you see what's coming? I don't know, but it's a little bit of uncertainty. So we can choose to say, Lord, this is all I've got. And what's the Lord saying back? I believe the same thing he said to Elijah. That's all I want. Let's go. Start baking the bread. Light up the oven. Because when we are willing to say, this is all I have, I believe he's willing to say, that's all I want. God will never go back on his word. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. 
Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. If you have accepted the promise of God to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will never fail or leave you. You might go through some tough times. You might run out of food. You might miss an electric bill. A lot of those things are caused by other people. Sometimes they're caused by us. Sometimes the Lord just doing some stuff. But we have to continue to say, but Lord, in the midst of everything that's going on, I'm going to hold fast to my confession of hope. Because my hope in anything that I can do, my hope is in him and what he's promised. God never goes back on his word. Remember the Kyle Eidelman story? Three men brought these little suitcases and they set them down. They went to the baptismal waters and they said, I want to be baptized today because I've trusted in Jesus and I'm giving them all I've got. It's a crazy story. I've never met those men, but I have met a good friend of mine whose name is Olalekon Oyapero. We call him Lakon because there's a lot of O's. <laughs> to this day, he still doesn't know how to say my best friend's wife's name. Her name's Christy Klotfelter. For fun, this is for fun and it's free. Anyway, I've got to finish this thing, but he, he always calls her. He goes, hey, hey, I don't know if he knows her name or not. That's just what he says. But Olekon is from Lagos, Nigeria. This is a true story. It's the first man I've ever seen pray all night long without stopping. It was insane. On his knees. Prayed and wept and read scripture. We were on a mission trip where Shantan started dating. Crazy cool stuff. When Olekon became a follower of Christ outside of Lagos, Nigeria in a camp meeting, it was about 20 miles outside of town. He walked in an aisle. It was massive. There was a million people there. It was a crazy church. Holy Ghost Conference was what it was called. But he went up front. And he accepted Christ. They laid hands on him. And he went home and he told his dad from Lacan's mouth that I have heard. And his dad said, I'm not really into the religious stuff. But you've got to go and tell my mom, your grandmother. And you've got to get her blessing to follow this Christ. And Lacan knew that his grandmother was an actual legitimate witch doctor who didn't believe in Jesus. So to his grandmother's house. And he said, in my language, it would have been memo, whatever he called his grandma. I've decided to follow Christ. And she said to Lacan, you are no longer a part of this family. You are cut off from our household. He went back home and he told his dad. His dad says, it's about time to go to the States to start college. He came to Georgia College in Millsville where he started telling me these stories. And over the next few years, because he was willing to say, Lord, this is all I've got. The Lord used Lacan to lead his father to Christ and his mother to Christ and his two brothers to Christ. And the kingdom grew because he met a savior who said, I want everything you got. And he said, bro, if I give you everything I've got, I've got nothing left. And what did the Lord say? I want it all. Give it all to me because I'm about to do stuff that you can't even explain. So that for the rest of eternity, we look at everyone else in the kingdom and say, you remember what happened last week? And some of us, y'all have seen miracles in this last week that don't make any sense. And maybe we need to start writing them down so we can share them, but you gotta trust me, I promise, I've seen miracles. And to know that our God is doing things that we can't explain and providing for people so that he can be lifted up. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God never goes back on his word. Are we willing to trust him for who he is and what he has promised? Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you today for your faithfulness and your promises. I thank you for the love, Lord, that you give that passes all understanding. I thank you for the story of Elijah, Lord. 
for what you did in his life and how we have examples from him to trust in Jesus together. Lord, I thank you that sometimes in life you bring us through difficult seasons that we can't explain, might not like, and don't understand, but you are with us. Lord, if there's anybody in here today or hearing these words that identifies with any of the people that we've shared this morning, Lord, there could be some that identify more with the widow and the son that feel that all they have is just a little bit left. Lord, please, through the Holy Spirit, remind them that you have not forgotten about them, that you are with them and that you are for them and that you're going to meet with them. Lord, I want everybody to leave here having hope, trusting in your provision. If there are some that are currently looking at a babbling brook dried up, maybe because somebody else has sinned and hurt them, maybe because they made a terrible mistake, or maybe you're just trying to get them to move. Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, you would remind them that you control all things, including the waters. And that when you do something, there's a reason for it. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that we would be willing to be like a person, like Elijah, to trust in you and trust in you for our hope and to never, never question what you promised. For you have promised, Lord, because of Jesus Christ, that you will always be with us. And we don't have to waver on that. If there's anybody in here hearing these words that has never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, let them do that right now, wherever they are. They can start that conversation with you. If all they've got is a handful of flour or a handful of oil or a bunch of sins, Lord, you're not waiting on a better version of them to save them. Let them come to you right now, wherever they are, and simply say, Lord, it's me. Introduce yourself to him. He already knows you. He created you. Tell him that you are a sinner. You have messed up. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died on a cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, your sins and my sins were crucified on the cross with him. And that Jesus was buried in a grave. And three days later, if you believe it, tell him that you believe three days later he came back to life so that anyone who confesses Christ as Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead will be saved now and forever. Lord, I pray for new believers today for the kingdom to grow. If anybody needs to come to the altar in just a little bit and share something like that or wants to know more about becoming a Christian or getting baptized or joining a church, let them come as the Lord leads, as you lead, Lord. If anybody needs to come to an altar or just stay where they are and a sin or a struggle, Lord, let them lay it down and trust that you are big enough to pick it up and toss it away while also picking them up to live with them forever. May we all trust in your promises that are grounded in your love and what you've already done. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name.